episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. My name is T, and of course we're talking scary movies. I appreciate you tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes, the audio version, goes up every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on your favorite podcasting platforms. Just search TWASM. Or if you want to find the video version, that goes up at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on the YouTube page. That's youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Again, youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Also, you go to my link tree. That's linktr.ee slash T Scary Movie. That way you can get direct links to the audio version, the video version, and to my letterbox. So you can see the written reviews that I have going up of all the movies that I talk about on the show, as well as a few extras. Uh, I just got done actually putting a review up for uh, JLo's new movie, Shotgun Wedding, that's available on Amazon Prime. So uh, yeah, I do a lot of reviewing on the letterbox. So you definitely want to go and check that out. So what I have in store for y'all tonight. Tonight in movie reviews, we are talking The Outwaters. We're also gonna talk about episode five of The Last of Us, Endure and Survive. But before we get there, got a little bit of movie news for y'all. So let's jump right into it. It was announced recently, hitting the craze of legacy sequels, that Sony is developing a legacy sequel to I Know What You Did Last Summer. That's right, if you remember the late 90s slasher hit starring Jennifer Love Hewitt, Freddie Prinze Jr., uh, Ryan Philippe, and Sarah Michelle Gellar is looking to make a comeback with a new sequel that's gonna be directed by Caden Robinson, that's going to be scripted by Leah McKendrick, and Neil Moritz is back again as a producer. And the best news is that they are talking currently to Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prinze Jr. about reviving or uh, uh, reprising their roles in this new sequel. Now, that alone gives us an idea that we are likely getting a movie that's going to directly connect to the first movie as opposed to picking up where the second film left off. If you recall, in the sequel, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, the ending left it not like not clear, but it pretty much hinted that uh, Jennifer Loves Hewitt's character, at the very least, got killed at the end of that movie. We don't know too much about Freddie Prinze Jr.'s character, but it seems like that we're probably just going to connect to that first movie. And it's probably a good idea. Again, this is all assumption at this point, but... The first movie, like it or not, actually was uh, adapted from a book written by Lois Duncan, and it pretty much resembled a lot of slasher films from back in like the 70s and the 80s. It did come out in the time in the 90s when we were getting films like Urban Legend and Scream and Valentine and stuff like that, but this film wasn't so much like a meta slasher flick like we're kind of used to getting with a certain, certain amount of films that come out. So the sequel, I still know what you did last summer, kind of played up like the hokey aspects that we see in, uh, in, in a lot of slasher films and it kind of made it a bit ho-hum. We got Brandy in the movie, but uh, overall the film wasn't exactly that great and the plot line of the killer returning and his son, Will Benson, oh my God, uh, not so good. So I'm hoping that this sequel will pick up from the first film, probably be again 30 years later at this point, I guess 25 years later, because uh, it was 97, I think 97 at that point, 96, 97. And I think it'll pick up to where uh, we'll see uh, 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 Hewitt and Prince's character kind of still dealing with like their PTSD and their feelings from what happened in the first movie decades later. Who knows if it'll be the same killer? I doubt it very much, but either way, I'm excited for it because while I'm not the biggest fan of I Know What You Did Last Summer, I am a big fan of franchises, as y'all know, and this is one of my franchises, like it or not. 
So I'm excited to see what a new movie will do. So we'll hopefully find out a little later more this year. But in the meantime, you can check both of those movies out. They're available to rent on most platforms right now. So we are jumping into our movie review tonight of The Outwaters. Yeah, I got a chance to check this out in theaters this past Friday. And I'll say it's extremely rare that I will walk into a movie without knowing anything about it. Uh, I like surprises. I really do. Uh, but when it comes to movies, I always want to see if it's something that I would even be like interested in. If it's going to catch my eye in the first place. And that makes the fact that I went and saw The Outwaters without knowing anything about it so fascinating. I didn't even watch a trailer. I literally walked in to it blind because I didn't want to know anything about it. I heard some comparisons to a few other movies that I'm not going to mention because then I'm going to plant ideas into your mind. But I wanted to walk into it just completely blank without having anything at all. And I can't tell you the last time that I've actually done that to a movie, especially a movie that I paid money for because it's different if you watch it at home. But going to the theater and paying for it, that's a different story. Uh, the Outwaters was written, directed, and actually stars Robbie Banfitch. And it follows a young filmmaker joined by his brother and a makeup artist who are looking to create a music video for a close friend out in the Mojave Desert. Uh, unfortunately, as it's revealed right in the opening, the four never made it back home. Now, barely five minutes into the movie, uh, we're presented with hair-raising screams and otherworldly noises. And I felt pretty confident at that point that I walked in blind. Like, I felt like I was validated in my choice to walk into this movie blind as I think that it would have been hard for me not to make some direct comparisons of other films about friends going out into an isolated area never to return. I mean, me saying that's probably giving me a few ideas of a few movies already. And regardless of whether those comparisons uh, were good or bad, I think it would have set up some expectations for this film that would have left me disappointed. Not because uh, That Waters is bad, it's actually really good, but because not a single thing that my mind would have come up with uh, would have been even close to what I saw in the almost two hours later. Uh, Banfitch makes the risky but absolute right choice, letting us get to know brothers Robbie and Scott, makeup and hair artist Angela, and singer Michelle. And while it's obviously not uncommon for horror movies to let us get to know our victims before they get picked apart, literally, in, uh, in this case here, uh, but spending over half the movie getting us endeared to the group and then getting to learn about things like lost family members, gift exchanges, and then all the fun they have in traveling, uh, whether it's on a plane or on a road trip to get to the desert itself. Um, it makes it even more terrifying when night falls and these characters start to get picked off one by one. Uh, horror has long, 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 long evolved past the idea that bad things only happen in the dark. And I really do applaud the Outwaters for uh, triumphing here by being able to effectively bring that feeling back, but going a step further showing that uh, even though our characters are like longing for the daylight, that there's some kind of safety for it. And us as the audience can get that nice reset that comes from daytime coming along. Uh, a lot of the more terrifying stuff is happening during the daytime that goes just right along with the horrendous stuff that's happening at night. Uh, Banfitch also manages to effectively make use of what could only be described as a 
ass-clinching sound design that I feel is sure to elicit some nightmares from a lot of y'all who end up checking this movie out. Like, that is going to stick with you. That sound design is perfectly contrasted with uh, singer Michelle May's enchanting voice. Uh, the subject of the music video being shot, Michelle singing ends up being like this recurring theme throughout the entire film that's kind of there to like soothe us into this false sense of security that things are going to be okay. Because um, we kind of feel like, all right, well, nothing too, too bad can happen to this group. Sure, you know, a killer might show up or something, but everything's probably still fine. But as events continue to progress, it becomes actually kind of unnerving and haunting. And it kind of sucks that we're never going to get a chance to see the full, like the full product of the music video that they were shooting. Because it actually looked like it'd be a pretty good music video, honestly. Um, and with that, there's certainly some personal interpretation required as we're purposely not given um, direct answers to a lot of the questions that you might have coming out of this movie. Like I found myself bouncing around multiple theories uh, throughout, like throughout the film, each time that night would fall. And like every time it's like, okay, I know exactly what's going on right now. Um, we'd get a little bit more information, something else would happen. And then it's like, well, Back to the drawing board on that one. There's no way that that is correct. And I honestly really, really appreciated that approach because the story gets so insane and wild. And I don't know if there could have been like a perfectly satisfying answer to all of the questions that I have. Like there's, I don't think there was really a way to really like tie everything up into like this neat little bow that would leave everybody happy, uh, happy about it. And I, I would expand on that by saying that I'm not going to point fingers here, but if you're not somebody who does good with like imagination, if you lack imagination, you're going to scratch your head a lot while watching this. Uh, and that along with the cinematography is likely going to be what I think the general audience probably has a hard time following because as far as I can tell, um, there was no sets. Uh, they didn't have no stages. Everything was naturally lit. And especially during our night scenes, our characters are using what seems to be like the world's smallest <laughs> flashlights. And I know that's very much done on purpose. I get it because, you know, things are scarier when you can't actually see them. I thought that added to the ambiance, but I do feel that uh, not being able to make out who or what is stalking the group uh, some of you are definitely going to complain about the fact that you can't really see everything that's going on. And honestly, I feel that if we had like just a straight up like well-lit shot of, you know, monsters or murderers or witches or zombies or anything like that in this film, not saying that's all in here, but I do feel that if we had just straight up shots of all of that taking place, that definitely would take away from the film being as effective as it is. And like to the further to go further on with that, I think that actually means that this movie is going to do so so well on streaming. Honestly, just because for anything that you miss, you just go back and watch it again. Maybe increase your brightness a level little, but you really shouldn't get the effect of how it was presented in the first place. But not only that, going back to what I said about floating multiple theories, I do feel that this film rewards you for paying attention because as things continue to unfold, you're going to think back to stuff that happened earlier on and be like, oh. That might be exactly what they're referring to in that case. Um, and I should warn you, I should probably warn you here, that Waters is an incredibly, incredibly bloody film. Like, I know we've heard the term pull of blood before, but unless we're talking something like Terrifier 2, it's not too common to see, like, almost literal examples of that phrase realized on screen. 
And that's not even considering one of the most graphic, if not the most graphic scenes I've ever seen in a movie theater that involved a toot. Because I didn't see Terrifier 2 in theaters, otherwise that might like beat that out there. But at least sitting in a theater, this is absolutely the most graphic film I have ever seen. And a lot of it, even though I say that, is still left for you to hear and to not see like the torture that all these characters are going through. And with that much blood, you can only imagine what they are all going through. We're getting a chance to see more and more horror films hit theaters that certainly wouldn't have been described as typical, as like a studio film. And I really do think we need to get more of these films out there so we can see new and seasoned filmmakers taking bigger chances on out-of-the-box ideas. Uh, the Outwaters positions itself as a fish out of water that we certainly should be trying to catch. It actually hits streaming this Friday the 17th on Screenbox. So you have a chance to watch it at home if you can't catch it in theaters. So make sure to check that out this Friday. That's The Outwaters. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Looking for a great way to stay up to date on horror news as well as read the best of articles on anything scary out in the world right now? Then you need to head over to the Fangoria shop and get yourself a subscription. If you go to shop.fangoria.com slash AXDW, you can use my own personalized 20% discount to save 20% off on Fangoria Magazine subscriptions, as well as 20% off any other items in their fantastic shop. This is a great deal. If you've ever been wanting to get yourself a subscription, now is the time to do so. Head to shop.fangoria.com slash AXDW. Okay, so we are back here to discuss episode five of The Last of Us, Endure and Survive. The previous ep episode, Please Hold to My Hand, ended off with Ellie and Joel taking refuge in a high-rise building here in Kansas City, and they wake up finding out that they're being held at gunpoint by a couple of people. We find out here that those two people holding them, uh, holding them at gunpoint are Henry and Sam, the fugitives of Kansas City. We found out in the last episode that uh, they have something to do with the death of the leader of the militia in Kansas City, Kathleen. They had something to do with the death of her brother. And so now her and the entire militia are on the hunt for these two brothers. Now, of course, you know, we're not given all the information that we need here, but we found out that, you know, Henry and Sam are just trying to get out. Uh, Henry being the older brother is just trying to take care of Sam and get him to safety at this point. And we spend this episode with uh, Ellie, Joel, Henry and Sam, not bonding, but traveling together as the four of them are trying to get out of Kansas City and get to safety. Um, Henry and Sam agree that they can show Ellie and Joel a way out, but they need Ellie and Joel to help them because, you know, they're not really that adept at, you know, fighting and killing. And they could use some people who seem to be really good at that as they were watching as they got into the fight when they entered Kansas City in the first place. There's some subtle changes from the video game when it comes to like the character of Sam and like the motivation behind him as well too. Like in the game, we just know that they're being hunted by this group in the town, but we're given a more direct reason in this case. And as we get to learn a little bit more about Kathleen, we find out that she just has this vendetta, that it doesn't matter what the reasoning was, it doesn't matter what the excuse for it was either, that she wants these two dead. And from Henry and Sam, we find out that Sam had leukemia and that the only way he could get medicine for uh, the only way Henry could get medicine for Sam was by turning over Kathleen's bro brother to Fedra 
and they give him the medicine for it, which makes him public enemy number one. Now, it's interesting because we get to see a little bit more of Joel as, again, he's still being very protective of Ellie, but coming across another kid, you could see Joel kind of wrestling with emotion like, well, can I actually trust these, uh, trust these people? Because, yeah, that's a little kid, but the world is different right now. There's a lot of shit that's going on. Just having a kid with you doesn't make you the most trustworthy person. And when he finds out Henry and Sam's reasoning for why they're being hunted, it makes Joel trust them a little bit less than he did before, even if Henry has a really, really good reason. Now, what I thought was like super cool about this is that peppered throughout our five episodes so far, every now and then we're getting scenes that are doing a great job of replicating the game. But obviously we're not seeing, you know, stand up, crouch, stand up, crouch, switch guns, craft stuff there. We can't see a direct adaptation of that. But I thought it was actually really, really cool as the foursome get to their exit of Kansas City. There's a, I don't say level because it's, it's all, it's, it's not really a level, but there's a part where it's telling this story in the game to where you're playing as Joel and you're covering uh, Ellie, Joel, uh, Ellie, Henry, and Sam trying to get away from all these people that are chasing them. And I thought that was really, really cool to see that be to see that scene played out as he's covering the three of them running away from this militia coming after them and eventually more infected coming out of them too, including our first appearance of a bloater, which was absolutely ridiculous. That thing was so rad and it killed quite a lot of people. Now, unfortunately, uh, the episode ends pretty much the same way that it did in the, uh, in, in the game. But I like the spin that they put on it because without giving direct spoilers to the end of it in this episode, I will in next week's, but in the game, uh, Henry and Sam, like the way things end up turning out is a bit nihilistic, especially with the way that Sam is feeling about the world as a whole. And Ellie doesn't really give him that much hope. And I feel that the TV show did a better job of showing that, you know, Sam wants to be hopeful and Ellie wants to be hopeful for him as well, too. And I think that's big. I think that's huge because it endears us a little bit more to Ellie because the fact that she thinks that so much good could still come out of this world and there's still a chance to save people. I think that shows hope and hope is important in a story like this for sure. And of course, again, the episode ends on an absolutely terrible note, absolutely terrible note. But that is the world that these people now live in. This show is just doing a great job of adapting, again, like the greatest hits from the game itself. You know, we're mostly on brand. We're mostly on script what the game presents to us. But I think it's done an excellent job of picking out the best emotional moments and presenting that on screen. Uh, we got four episodes left of this season. I'm so, so excited to see what they do with it as it appears that Ellie and Joel are finally going to reach Tommy in Wyoming in the next episode, but not without some drama to follow. So stay tuned. I'm excited to see how that works out when the two of them get to Wyoming. I'm even more excited if we still get our Colorado episode, because one of these episodes is supposed to be set in Colorado. And I wonder if we're going to complain like all the Boston people that said, that's not what downtown Boston looks like or 40 miles east of Boston. I want to see, does it look like Boulder? <laughs> Find out. But uh, tell me your thoughts and comments on episode five of The Last of Us and The Outwaters here in the comment section. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and be back next week, folks. I'm going to be talking time crimes next week. Episode, movie review, game review, whatever it is now at this point. 
Don't forget, if you want to get subscribed to my official channel so you can stay up to date for when I'm dropping new episodes, reviews, news, whatever it is. The best way to do that is get subscribed to my link tree. That's going to be linktr.ee slash tscarymovie. Again, linktr.ee slash tscarymovie. That'll keep you up to date with new videos, podcast links for the audio-only version, as well as my letterbox where you can find written reviews. Get subscribed, and don't forget, keep watching scary movies, folks. Stay scared.